I invite you now to turn to Revelation chapter 19. Um, And actually, we'll have two scripture readings today. We'll have a reading from the Old Testament and a reading from the New Testament. And so if you will also turn, uh, hopefully you have a Bible with multiple ribbons or pieces of paper or something that you can mark. Uh, But our first scripture reading will be uh, from Isaiah, the major prophet Isaiah, chapter 63. So it's at the end of Isaiah's prophecy. So Isaiah chapter 63 and in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 21 will be our New Testament reading. So Isaiah 63 and Revelation 19, verses 11 through 21. Isaiah says, and to set the context here, you can kind of see from the heading there, which is not part of scripture, but it's helpful. Uh, The heading there is the, the Lord's day of vengeance. And this is speaking about the servant of the Lord who is going to come, who was prophesied about his coming to come and rescue and to redeem his people to to enthrone himself on Mount Zion. And as part of that process of his enthronement, you have his enacting of vengeance. And so this word comes to Isaiah and it's um, it's almost kind of a dialogue, if you will. Between uh, maybe Isaiah and this other servant that's being described here. So Isaiah chapter 63, verses 1 through 6. Who is this who comes from Edom in crimsoned garments from Basra? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. And he responds, it is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? And he says, I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. I trod them in my anger. I trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all of my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. And here the peoples are the wicked enemies of the Lord God. Now, Revelation chapter 19 And if you don't mind, I'll actually just read the whole chapter. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more, they cried out, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. 
And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of a mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, pure, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse, one sitting on it called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. This is the reading of God's word. We say thanks be to God and let's pray together. Father God, we come to a shocking passage of your word. We know that it is your word. We know that it is written to to challenge and to convict the world. We know that it is also written to encourage those who are your people. So God, we ask as we unpack these words that you would guide us, that you would give us minds to understand, and that we would find something in this that would 
prick our hearts, to prick our consciences, or to soothe our souls and our minds through the troubling things we might experience in this world. And so, God, we ask your word in all of the fullness of its power to do that work in us for your glory and for our good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So to recap where we are in the book of Revelation, John is kind of coming to the end of this vision that the Lord God had given him of the resurrected Jesus. This message that was delivered to these seven churches. That in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the difficulty and the trials and troubles that people are experiencing in this world, the Christians were experiencing in this world, that Jesus has a message for them, a word of encouragement to them. And likewise, a, a message of warning to those who are in the world and apart from Christ and apart from God. It's a word about the ultimate reality that's happening in the background that we don't see, the spiritual realities that are happening in the world. And it's also, at the end here, a description of what will happen when Jesus comes back, when he returns. Which, as he warned his disciples and he warned us, could happen at any moment. And here in this passage, we get a glimpse of what it will be like when Jesus returns. Here we have a picture, as we do elsewhere in the book of Revelation in multiple places. Here we have a picture of Jesus. It's helpful for us to remember that all of the pictures that we get of Jesus are not just in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That we actually have a picture of Jesus in Revelation 19, 2. And so let's uh, kind of go through this passage together and understand a couple of things about Jesus. And so what I want to do is kind of unpack it a little bit. And then I've got two main points and then a couple of lessons that we will uh, hopefully glean from these main points and what we see in this passage. And the focus of the teaching is going to be the last half of verse of, excuse me, of chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. So if you would look to verse 11 of Revelation 19, of what John sees next. He says, then I saw heaven opened. Okay, now this has occurred a couple of times in Revelation, in chapter 4, in 11, and in 15. In all of those scenes, it's introducing a glimpse. It's a pulling back the curtain and seeing the judgment that's going to be in the future. And in the other places, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, 11, the Revelation chapter 11, and in Revelation 15, you get just a little snapshot. Here, we have multiple verses describing what, uh, in a fuller picture of what's going to take place of this judgment. And then it says, I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. Now, this is a different white horse than what we saw in Revelation chapter 6. Saw the four horsemen in Revelation chapter 6. And one, one of them is described as, as a white horse. And some people will kind of equate the two because they think that that's it. Uh, and we saw already there, know that that's part of the judgments that were unveiled with those four horses. This one is different. This is a war horse. This is the, the white horse, the big large horse that usually the commander of the army or the most senior officer in an army in those days would have. 
So this is a war horse. And then we get to a couple of titles. We're going to get to a couple of titles and names of Jesus. Uh, we're going to see um, uh, some depictions of Jesus. And here's the first one. Verse 11. The one sitting on it was called faithful and true. Faithful and true. This should kind of call to mind what the message that uh, Jesus had given to one of the churches in chapter 13, where it says to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? The words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So the amen, faithful and true beginning of God's creation, referring to Jesus. This is who John sees. The one seating on sitting on this war horse is faithful and true. And then look at what it says at the rest of verse and in righteousness, he judges and makes war. So here we have faithful and true rider on the horse, which we know elsewhere is referring to Jesus. And it says he comes and he judges and to make war. That's his task. And this is a fulfillment of what Isaiah spoke of elsewhere, not in the passage we read in our scripture reading, but in Isaiah chapter 11, where there's a word that's given about this one who comes from the stump of Jesse. And I'll read these verses. You don't have to turn there. Isaiah chapter 11. It says, uh, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from its roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And if you remember that from the gospels, this is a reference to Jesus, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And she and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what he hears. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. See, sound familiar? with what we read in our scripture reading and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. That's his task. So we've seen a title. We've seen his task. We've seen some traits in, we see some traits in verse, uh, verses 12 and on, uh, notice what it says in verse 12, his eyes are like a flame of fire. We have, uh, here, uh, this, again, goes back to Revelation chapter 1. This is a description of Jesus. Uh, whereas his hair was white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And this, too, is connected with the idea of judgment, his purpose in coming. His eyes are bright. He could see clearly, penetrating insight. Also conveying kind of his omniscience and his all-knowing, which is what enables him to judge in righteousness. And then notice what it says. And on his head are many diadems. You know, the diadem is like a crown, right? We sing, crown him with many crowns. This is drawn right from this verse. Crown him with many crowns, the, the lamb on his throne. Here you have this, this diadem and this crown, which is the symbol for sovereignty, the symbol for uh, rule and rulership. And notice how this contrasts the false claims of those who have diadems elsewhere in the book of Revelation. Remember the red dragon in chapter 12? 
Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. Right? You remember that? Remember in Revelation chapter 13, the beast who comes up out of the sea, the beast riding, rising out of the sea had ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems. This is uh, here, what John sees is contrasted with the limited number of diadems that you would have seen on the imposters, the beast and the dragon, with the many diadems on his head, an innumerable amount of diadems on his head. He's the true one. The others are the imposters. Notice another title in chapter 12. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. I don't know how else to comment on that. Like what, well, and what that means is we don't know what knows what that name is. Maybe we, to fully comprehend what Jesus is and who he is, is you know, maybe it's just difficult, it's impossible to fully comprehend him. Notice verse 13. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Sorry, this is not, the, if you're squeamish, this may not be a great sermon uh, for you. The question is usually debated kind of between commentators is whose blood is this? Some, uh, the first option is some would say, well, this is referring to um, his own blood because of his death on the cross. And uh, they would say, well, you know, the, the battle doesn't actually technically begin until a few verses later. So they're, they're thinking that this is his, his own blood. This, I don't think that that's the best way to, to understand this. I think uh, I, I tend to side with the second option, which is to, to not see these verses as straight chronology. The blood that you see his garments um, soaked in is not his own blood, but it's the blood of those uh, who are his enemies. The blood of those he's coming to, to slaughter and to slain. I think largely the idea for this is from the first passage we read, Isaiah chapter 61. Where's this, the, this question, who is this one who's coming? And he's, his garments are crimson. Why is your apparel red? And he says, I've come. I've come to make war. I've come to judge the wicked. I have come to, and it's their blood, their lifeblood has been spattered on my garments. I think this passage in Revelation 19 is a fulfillment of what Isaiah was describing in 63. Now, why is that important? We'll get to why I think that that's important here in a minute. And it also fits the rest of the description as he goes on uh, here with a, another, yet another title in verse 13. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. This is the final definitive revelation of who God is. Jesus is a warrior. And I guess that's the first point that we want to acknowledge here. Jesus is a warrior. And if you're a warrior, you've got to have an army, right? And that's what happens in verse 14. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, are following him. And they too are on white horses. The warrior's got to have an army. The warrior also has to have a weapon. And what is his weapon? Verse 15. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Again, we already saw this description of Jesus in John's initial vision to him. And a sharp two-edged sword comes out of his mouth. It says, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. We've seen this before too. This is from uh, Psalm uh, 2. 
Verse 9, where the anointed king will break the other nations who are against God with a, raw, with a rod of iron. Remember, this is the description of the child that, that the, the pregnant woman gave birth to in Revelation chapter 12. Right? The pregnant woman gave birth to a male child who is the one to rule the nations with a rod of iron. This is a theme here. This is Jesus here. And so now when we get the final picture or vision of Jesus coming, here he is with a, a rod of iron and a sword coming out of his mouth. And then notice this description. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Which is what we saw in Revelation, or excuse me, Isaiah chapter 63, right? Verse 2, why is your apparel red and your garments are like the one who treads the winepress? Jesus says, because I tread the winepress, that's me, that's their blood. Verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is a warrior. Jesus is a warrior. The last images that we see, some of the last images that we see in Scripture is Jesus as a warrior. And to say it with a little more precision, we would say that even in the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, you have the Lord God, Yahweh, as a warrior. Okay? There's... There's lots of different images and depictions of the Lord God in the Old Testament. He reveals himself as a king. He reveals himself as a shepherd. In some places, he, he likens himself to like a, like a wife or like a mother to Israel, nursing them. And he gives all of these images to kind of convey different aspects of who he is. But one of the images that is through the Old Testament that I don't think we give a lot of notice to is the Lord God as a divine warrior. So Yahweh in the Old Testament is a warrior. Jesus, as we've seen all throughout Revelation, is Yahweh in the flesh, the Lord God who has come in the flesh, and Jesus is a warrior. Notice, if we kind of trace through in the Old Testament, just think back uh, to Exodus chapter 14. This last week, we actually, I think I mentioned last week or a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Prince of Egypt and so we thought we, we will show the Prince of Egypt. And so if you haven't seen that movie, it's a great movie depicting the uh, the Exodus. Um, and we got to see that. And Emmeline got to see that for the very first time. It was actually it was kind of fun. And um, and as we're watching it, I'm, I'm scrolling through because I always have to double task or, you know, multitask, whatever I'm doing. And so I'm scrolling through the Bible passages. I know total dork pastor thing to do. Right. Like I'm reading all of Exodus as the movie is going on. And um, and I and I noticed as you know, because I'm like, oh, this ties in with this with what I'm studying about in Revelation 19, Exodus chapter 14, verse 11. And uh, and this is comes in the context as they have brought them out. They're out by the, the, the shore of the Red Sea. And they complain to Moses. Uh, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done bringing us out of Egypt? And Moses says these words again, Exodus 14 verses um, 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm. And see the salvation of. Of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. 
The Lord will fight. This is one of the earliest pictures of this divine warrior. And you only have to be silent, he says. Even the Egyptians acknowledge this several verses later. They say, uh, they say, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. A couple more places. Deuteronomy chapter three. You shall not fear the people and uh, the nations that you're about to enter. You should not fear those people at all. For it is the Lord your God who fights for you, he says. Divine warrior. As the ark is traveling around in Numbers, Numbers chapter 10, it says, And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. We've seen this already. The Joshua and the walls of Jericho, as they were marching around the walls, and the Lord God brought the walls down. And we remember the, the famous story of David and Goliath. You remember the last words that, Jesus, that, that David says, the very last words that he utters right before Goliath charges. It's this. He says that all the earth may know, this is what David is saying to the giant, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. The Lord God is the divine warrior. We, I could go through multiple, many other passages throughout scripture that talk about him being the warrior that's going to fight. Now that doesn't mean, by the way, that doesn't mean that all of the people, the followers of the Lord didn't have a responsibility uh, to fight. They were not totally passive. Israel was called to fight too, but uh, but they, it was clearly the victory was won, not because of Israel's might, but because of the Lord's might, right? The Lord knocked down the walls of Jericho, but the, they still had to march around the city. Um, David said, the Lord uh, will not conquer you with, with spear or sword, but he did have stones and a slingshot. So you get the idea that the people of God are not to be totally active and totally passive. We have responsibility to fight as the Lord directs us to fight. The point is, is that our abilities are underwhelming when it comes to our enemies. The Lord wins. Jesus is a warrior. It's God who makes them powerful. And that brings us to the other point. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. If you want to... Summary of all of Revelation, Jesus wins. Jesus has won a great victory for us over the powers and the authorities that are in this world. He did so on the cross. But the final fulfillment of that resurrection, crucifixion, resurrection, victory, that final fulfillment of it will come when Jesus comes back in all of his military glory in order to uh, bring the final judgment on all of those who resist steadfastly and stubbornly resist his rule and his sovereign lordship over all. Jesus says this even before his crucifixion and his resurrection when he told his disciples in the last week before he was crucified. 
warning them about kind of what was going to happen in their immediate days and then also in the last days when he says, and this is Matthew chapter 24, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the son of man and then all of the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four uh, from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other what jesus spoke about in matthew 24 is what we saw in revelation 19 what john sees and conveys to us in revelation 19 jesus is a warrior and jesus wins Three quick lessons for us to um, to remember in light of this. Make sure you have a well-rounded view of Jesus. Okay? Make sure you have a well-rounded view of Jesus. Again, we want to follow what the whole counsel of the scripture has for us. We want to, to receive and to believe and to take it as, as a comprehensive whole. And I think for many... Uh, many people, um, especially those who are, are not too familiar with the scriptures, they see um, they have a conception of Jesus is uh, uh, Jesus meek and mild, like one of the old hymns said, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Which he is. To those who to who repent of their sins. And acknowledge their need for him, Jesus is gentle and meek and mild you know a bruised reed he will not break he will come to those who are who are broken and needy and come to jesus he is gentle he's careful but to those who are in steadfast rebellion against him jesus is not Oh, oh, well, there's not much I can do. The full picture of Jesus is that those who are steadfast in rebellion against him and his law and his sovereignty elicits his wrath. And what John sees is, is kind of terrifying here in Revelation chapter 19. It's kind of it's kind of gory. It's kind of bloody. But that is a depiction of who Jesus is. He is a warrior coming to judge all wickedness and evil in the world. So we need to make sure we have a well-rounded view of Jesus. Second, we need to make sure that uh, you still engage in the spiritual battle. Make sure that even we recognize that Jesus is a warrior and that Jesus wins. The battle belongs to him. But we're still called to fight too, right? The same. We saw that throughout the examples in the Old Testament. It's same is true in the New Testament. I love these words from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. Though we live in the world, he says, we do not wage war as the world does. We do wage war. It's a spiritual battle. We do wage war, but we don't do it as the, war, as the world does. With swords and spears. 
We wage this battle, this spiritual battle, as the Lord calls us to, as Paul tells us to in Ephesians chapter 6, to be strong in the Lord and in his might and to put on the full armor of God. Right? The the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the, the word of God. Paul elsewhere says the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not mortal. They're not human. But they have divine power to to demolish strongholds. We need to stand in the strength that Jesus has given us for this spiritual warfare. But we need to ultimately, ultimately, of course, we need to remember that Jesus wins, that he is the divine warrior. But we need to fight. I sometimes, probably to, to my neglect, I forget to, to realize the true exi- extent of what kind of spiritual battle it, we are seeing in our world, in our culture today. There are forces, evil forces at work, even in the mundane things, even in press conferences, even within our own homes. Underneath our own roofs, we have spiritual battles and we're called to be alert and to be mindful of them. And so make sure that we are still engaged in the spiritual battle. And then what do we do as in response to this? I mean, what does this tell us? What does this passage tell us about um, how we should believe and what we should think and how what should be occupy our minds? Um, and here's a couple of thoughts and reflections I have to tie, kind of tie together this. What was, the, what was the news that you heard this week? Uh, what, was there some news that you heard this week and how, how did it make you feel? Were you grieved? Were you saddened? Were you frustrated? Were you infuriated? Were you depressed? What did you hear? I mean, there, I can list off a bunch of words that, that I've heard this past week in all sorts of news story. Racism, corruption, deception, lying, falsehood, cheating, stealing, sexual perversion, bloodshed of innocent. What you heard this week is evil and evil and more evil. And how did that make you feel? Do you have kind of this holy and righteous, unsettling anger or frustration because of that? Then this news of Jesus as a warrior against evil who will win and he will win should come as a welcome bit of news for you. He will come and he will destroy Babylon, as we saw in chapter 18. And he will destroy the dragon and the beast and the false prophet. He will make war against them and they, in their stubborn refusal, will think they have a fighting chance and they don't. And they will lose and they will lose bad. 
Do you despair over the evil you see? Here's the good news. Here's the good news about the gospel of the resurrected of Jesus Christ is that he will come one day and he will purge evil from among his creation. So turn that over to Jesus. If you are in Christ, if you know Jesus and you trust in him and you have this dissatisfaction and unsettling in your soul because of the evil that you hear or see in this world, turn that over in prayer to him. You, I've prayed this week, um, a praying scripture, taking these words and saying, Jesus, you are the divine warrior. I trust in you to win the battle, to win the fight. I feel that my efforts are insufficient for this task. And that is good because you and you alone, the battle belongs to the Lord Jesus. I trust you and give those things over to him and then take those things off of not saying you don't you ignore them and forget them. But you take those things and you put those burdens of that battle onto the Lord. And then you engage in this the spiritual warfare of praying for those things. And then we, too, will likewise, not only do we take our burdens and give them to him in prayer, we can give praise to him for his conquering victory. That's how the beginning of the chapter uh, of 19 is right. Hallelujah. 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 The beast, the dragon, the false prophet, the prostitute gone. Hallelujah. So if you know Jesus, you can know that he will come as a warrior to defeat all of those forces of evil in the world and he will win. You can know that. But if you do not know Jesus, if you do not know the one who comes to rescue you from his wrath against your sin, if you do not acknowledge that you have sinned and need that savior, if you stubbornly refuse to accept the forgiveness that he offers that the divine warrior offers on your surrender. And you cling to the love that you have of sin instead. Then I have. Jesus has some words for you here. Know that when he comes to make war, he comes to make war against you. These verses make very clear that the people and this is a quote, people will either be saved by the blood of Jesus through faith in him or they will be judged and will be pay, will pay for their sins with their own blood. One way or another, all sin will be punished. Close quote. So I would put it this way. There are two bloods and two garments that we need to be aware of in Revelation to those of you who do not, in stubborn refusal, refuse to accept Jesus, there's two bloods and two garments. The choice is yours at the end. And I put it this way. You can either wash your filthy robe in his blood or his righteous robe will be soaked in yours. You can take, as Isaiah, our filthy, all of our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. Revelation begins with the doxology in chapter one, right? To him who has loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood. In chapter five, it says of 
the saints for uh, 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 to the saints for uh, of the Lord Jesus that says, and for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. And of the saints in chapter seventeen, it says they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Okay, that's the first blood and first robe. Filthy robes of our unrighteousness, even our most righteous deeds, can be brought to Jesus and his blood will wash them white in the blood of the Lamb. You can wash your blood, your filthy robes in the blood or, or his righteous robe will be soaked in yours. Verse 13. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and that blood is not his own this is the vision for us friends this is a call for us to those who are in in Christ and we could we could shout along with the 24 elders and the four living creatures and all of the the heavenly army that we can shout hallelujah salvation and glory belong to our god hallelujah Because by your blood, you ransomed us as your people. By your blood, our unrighteous rags, uh, our robes have now been washed pure and white. And we could say thank you. But God, may we all pray to God right now. God, we pray that you would bring conviction to those who know that they have wronged you. That they have violated your law. God, I pray that they hear the call to trust in Jesus. That they repent of our sin. They obey this call. They follow his commands. That they forsake this world. And that they follow Jesus, your son and our savior. Our divine warrior. Lord God, make it so. Would you stand with me for closing benediction? Now, brothers and sisters, may the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ Our Lord Jesus, who is a divine warrior and who will win and who will come and slaughter those who reject and rebel against him. Now, may his grace that he offers of forgiveness and cleansing and the love that we have, the love that the God, the father has for us and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go.